0: blog talk radio
1: good evening um it is tuesday july 7th uh, tomorrow is my birthday feel free to lavish me with uh Birthday gifts. If anybody has any extra cash, line. No, I'm kidding. It's Michael Vandervoort. Um, I'm running. I'll, I'm running solo tonight. Robin Schooling is on a boat somewhere in Louisiana and couldn't join us. Um, so we're going to do. Uh, we're going to do a show. Someone I've known for a few years. Our guest tonight is Nick Calm from Reputation Partners. Hey, Nick. Welcome to Drive Through HR. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And happy birthday. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Well, absolutely, I. Uh, you know, we did, Nick and I have known each other through my through our, through my affiliation with uh, the organization that I used to work for, named Q. And Nick, Nick and I guess first met each other in 2015, and we've done a number of things together under the Q umbrella. Nick, for the, for those folks who don't know you as well as I do, uh, why don't you tell them about who you are and what you do?
0: Sure, thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, so I am the founder and president of a communications consulting firm called Reputation Partners. We're headquartered in Chicago, but we work across the country. And a lot of the work that we do is very specifically aligned with the HR charge, which is specifically helping organizations communicate with their employees, uh, deal with labor unions, uh, deal with change management, restructuring, and the like. So often we partner very closely with HR teams as well as internal communications teams on some of their more challenging assignments, both short-term and long-term.
1: Great, thanks. Um, we we did a little bit of a we did a little bit of a scripted some scripted que- questions. I mean, they're not scripted, but we we had some topics we're going to talk about. One thing that uh, I, I thought about er- later today or earlier today, after we had kind of set up the show, Nick, um, is a question that I didn't include in the show notes, and that is, um, in, in your role uh, with rep- not not specifically as the president of Reputation Partners, but rather the mission of your firm. How, how do you guys align and support your clients? What, what's the – because I know some companies have massive communications departments, and then I suppose others have little or none. So I, I'm just kind of curious about the consulting services you offer and how, how, that, how that goes when you work, especially with the HR people in, in their clients' firms.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And often what's kind of a, a, an event that brings us together with our clients is the organization itself is going through some sort of a challenge or change. And then they may have some internal communications folks who are accustomed to dealing with ordinary course of business kinds of things, you know, newsletters Mm -hmm. and town halls and videos and so forth. And usually if it's a different kind of a situation, either the company is going through a restructuring, a downsizing, they're going public, they're going private, they're dealing with a labor union organizing effort. Um, There's some significant change that they're looking to do with their, um, uh, benefits programs or pension programs, you know, they need to bring in folks like ourselves who have that as a specialty and have done it for many different clients. So we will bring our experience to bear. And I've been doing this for a very long time, more than two mm-hmm. years altogether. I've had my own firm for 18. Um, and so we bring that experience, my team and I, and we work very much in concert with the in-house HR folks and in-house communications people in terms of, developing the strategies, developing the messages, preparing the spokespeople, um, training supervisors in communicating around some of these issues. As you know, they're such a critical uh, player in these dynamics. But we work Mm -hmm. very much in concert with them, um, where they obviously know their organization very, very well, because they're part of it and have been typically for years. And we know communicating around these kind of special events and under challenges that these companies face so that, Combination of those two often works very well for the clients because they get mm-hmm. the benefit of outside expertise, but they're part of the whole planning process and execution as well.
1: Are you um, are you called upon more often, to, uh, like as a crisis management? Like in other words, I guess like the work you do is it more crisis management, or is there is there often another kind of an underlying relationship that you they're you know that you, they draw on you when they really need you? It's really both, I would say. So we will, you know, we
0: also do more typical public relations services, you know, getting a client into the Wall Street Journal or Reuters or things like that. And then that often evolves into some internal communications as well. But it's very often, there's usually some sort of an event, as I said, either a challenge or a change that an organization is going through. So typical example, so we'll get brought in by uh, the CEO of a publicly traded company, they, the CEO has been brought in to really restructure the organization in terms of what it's doing, maybe sell off a couple of divisions, maybe close a plant or two, maybe change their benefits uh, plans or whatnot. And again, they might have one person in communications or a couple of people in the communications role who are really more the folks who will go to the trade shows and do mm-hmm. some you know, more ordinary internal communications like that. And they know they need to really have a whole plan and a strategy to win hearts and minds. And so that's mm-hmm. when to get brought in. And sometimes that's, you know, an immediate issue that they're facing. Literally, they're in the midst of it. You know, like a, de- a defense contractor brought us in a few years back because they were in the middle of a, you know, four-week-long strike that they had. And yeah. so they needed to end it as quickly as possible. In other cases, it's like my first example where the CEO knows that he or she needs to make some changes down the road. And they need to make sure that they've got all of the communications lined up and ready to go mm-hmm. by the time those changes are finalized and announced.
1: Yeah, so so very very interesting. Um, I when we when we first talked about doing the show together, um, I kind of teed up the idea of the show. I guess it, we've been doing these. We do a, a variety of episodes on drive through, but we do some daytime, which is kind of our standard show. And then we've been doing since mid March or end of March, we've been doing these nighttime events uh you know every week or two and at first i was calling them the quarantini ep- episodes and i didn't <laughs> i didn't hang one on this one but but technically this would be quarantini episode number nine and i will tell you that when i did the first quarantini episode it was largely to check in with friends of the show and you know colleagues and stuff never imagined sure. that we would still be kind of i mean we're not as locked down as we were but i never imagined that it would be like it is today, you know. And so when when I spoke with you about the show, I, I said that I, I I kind of view this what's happening now. I, I don't know if this is the right way to describe it. It just feels right my, in my head. It's kind of like the sometimes in the in the stock market they talk about a triple witching hour, you know, when stock uh, mm. job job numbers are coming out and all you know that's all these things kind of hit at one time and it's a big day for the stock market. I really think that's kind of what we're facing just in our lives in general between. Covid, the you know the the economic uh, impact that Covid has ca- caused to the to the economy around the world, which is you know we still haven't even seen probably the most impactful forces there. They're probably waiting you know hidden behind the curtain somewhere. And then more recently, the the, the George Floyd, uh, Black Lives Matter uh, sort of racial tension that has come into the into the U.S. and really in in some cases all over the world. So it's, it's a very uncertain and very unsettled time in my mind. And I think that, you know, that's probably, you know, I don't know if this is your busiest year ever or whatever, but that's the kind of stuff that a lot of companies just aren't prepared to deal for deal with. So I, I thought we'd talk about how, you know, how you help and what you've recommended to some of your clients and stuff around those topics. So that's, that's sort of what the show's about. And if you're listening in, you know, live or on a download, um uh, We're going to start with a question about culture, I guess. So, Nick, a lot of, you know, in fact, I talked to you about this. I didn't even even think about this when I put it down. When we first talked about the show, you mentioned that your entire uh, company, which I forget is the size, but it's in the teens or more. You guys are basically all virtual now and have been for quite a while, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. No, I have not. I have not been in my office in downtown Chicago since about March 7th, actually. Um, we and can go back. We're, we're allowed to go back, uh, but we have not gone back. We've actually you know this is actually one of the, the few blessings, if you will of this whole thing is think about this now. I mean, you were talking about it in terms of a triple wishing hour or perfect storm, as I like to call it sometimes. Mm-hmm. But think about how how much more equipped we are as a uh, as a, an economy to deal with something like this now, right? We can have video conferences on our computers. We can, have, we can basically access the cloud from anywhere. And so those of us who are fortunate enough, and it's not everybody, and I know we'll get into this, you know, so-called essential service folks who have had no choice but to get sure. up and put on their work clothes and go to the, you know, the factory or the, the store or wherever it might be or the, you know, the public transportation where they're driving the bus or the subway since this whole mm-hmm. thing started unfolding. But those of us in the so-called, you know, professional ranks, Most of us have been able to make that shift, and that's actually been one of the few blessings, I would say, of this whole thing is that that's allowed this to be not even worse than it would be otherwise. But, yeah, we did shift to a full work-from-home thing. Um, I have conversations with my team, um, individual members of my team, you know, all day, every day, but I bring them all together on a weekly basis just to check in. Mm -hmm. And, frankly, that's one of the things that we're doing and one of the things we talk about with our clients. You need to be communicating much more often than you did before COVID struck, because especially with people stuck at home and especially knowing that, you know, different folks at different stages of their careers and in terms of incomes and everything else there, some of them are more uh, equipped to work from home and others are really struggling. I mean, I've got a few younger employees and many of them immediately fled home to mom and dad so that they could at least have a little bit more of the creature comforts because they live rather Mm -hmm. modestly on their own. So they have to really adjust in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, when you were setting up this question, Michael, I was thinking, you know, anybody who will sit there and say, this is the playbook, this is absolutely what you need to do, A, B, C, D, don't listen to that because it's so fluid, the situation, even as you were saying Mm -hmm. in your intro, and there's so much uncertainty and there's so much in the way of individual responses, particularly to COVID, I would say, and, you know, to some degree to the economy and obviously – to another degree within the uh, racial issues that we're going to talk about. But Mm -hmm. as it relates to COVID, even in my own team, you know, I've got a couple of folks who are like, Hey, I'm ready to go back to work at any time. And others are like, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to just keep working from home. It'd be nice to see you folks again in real life, not just on a computer screen, but I'm good for the foreseeable future working from home. And for me as an employer, They are able to get stuff done. I don't know that everybody is. I've seen some interesting stories, though, that talk about, you know, if you had a strong culture going into the pandemic, Mm -hmm. then you were in better shape. If you didn't, that's where a lot of bad things, I think, are starting to happen for a lot of different organizations.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, I will say that where I work, I mean, you know, I'm not not really sitting at the 30,000-foot level, but... the department that I work in and sort of the surrounding, you know, colleagues in a couple other related uh, departments, they, it worked quite well for us on pretty short notice, which really surprised me. Not that I didn't think we were capable of it, it was just how fast we did it, figured there would be bumps, but it actually worked out quite well. Um, And I've heard a number of colleagues say that, you know, yeah, it, it has. And of course, that brings up the whole question of you know, what What impact will or how will this work as we, as you come back together, you know, following COVID, which isn't really over, but, you know, will this change the nature of work and all that stuff? And I don't know, I, I you know, like, what, what do you think about, like, at Reputation Partners? Do you envision any changes from sort of your, you know, m- old normal to new normal uh, business model? as oh, as
0: like I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, you know, we, we have some very nice, beautiful, large, expensive office space in Chicago's loop. And not only am I a little frustrated that we haven't used it and set foot in it, really, other than to pick up the mail on occasion in the past three months, but I'm not sure we need that anymore. And I think about industries that are going to be disrupted. It's hard to think of an industry that's going to be more disrupted than the commercial real estate industry. And, you know, we do a lot of work in that sector. And talking to those people, they are just completely thrown in the blender. They don't know which end is up. There's going to be all kinds of space coming available. More people are shifting to this work from home than ever before. I mean, I was never, even in my own firm, I was never a mm-hmm. big work-from-home guy personally. I would do it typically about mm-hmm. one day a month, and I'd I'd only be most productive if I had, like, a lot of calls set up that day. And, in fact, mm-hmm. my company's policy was that you could only work from home two days a month. That's going to be out the window now, because we've been all working from home for four months straight. So I think we've shown that we can work virtually very smoothly. I do think we're going to want to come together a little bit in a very, you know, socially distant and appropriate way. But I don't see us, at least in our Chicago office, we have about half our folks up in Milwaukee, where it's a different kind of environment. They don't need to take public transportation to get there. Um, but I think at least in the Chicago office, I, I don't see us going back to work in that office full time uh, anytime hmm. soon, if at all.
1: Yeah. So, really so don't. at some point you might, you might give that office up, you think, or go yeah. to a, maybe a, Oh yeah. yeah. No, and,
0: I, in fact, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to sublease it out, so if anybody's listening and wants to put office okay. space in the loop of Chicago, make me yeah. an offer. I'd be happy to consider it. No, because it's obviously a significant operating expense, and, you know, certainly your listeners who are in the professional services space, I mean, after your your salaries and your benefits, rent is typically the next biggest expense. And, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it was always a challenge going in to figure out, as, you know, HR pros know, how much space are we going to need for the next three, five, eight years? Who knows? Who knows? Right. It's one of the hardest things to predict. And so you either end up taking too much space and then not filling it up or not enough space. And then even before social distancing came into, into the world, it was like, you know, you had people sitting cheek to cheek, and that didn't work either. So it, I think that part of it is really, really changing. People still do crave interpersonal, in-the-same-room contact. That's one of the reasons why you've seen when a lot of these states have started to open up, people just flooded out there because they wanted to come mm. and see other people. And, you know, that's where obviously some of the spikes happened and people weren't following social distancing and weren't wearing masks and all of that. But I think people still do need it. I just don't think we're going to need it as much as we thought we did before.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And, And in fact, I've seen a number of stories where companies are starting to try to figure out like how to you know what does this do to their compensation structure what does this do to their you know how do they what what support they provide to their employees in these remote areas you know working remotely and that kind of thing and in, in some cases um i think mark zuckerberg at facebook said you know yeah we're going to be you know virtual till the end of the year and probably for a long time after that but we're also going really to kind of restore our compensation and you know That kind of thing. And, you know, so that kind of gets into what our first topic was, and we've been talking around it anyway, which is uh, how do you keep your company culture alive while working remotely? So, you know, you gave a a little example of that, but like what what else, you know, what else do you have? How do you nourish a culture when people want face-to-face engagement, but they're really not able to get that for a long period of time? Well,
0: yeah. And again, video is a poor substitute, but obviously between Teams and Zoom and Google Hangouts, you can do that you know, pretty easily, if not, you know, Mm -hmm. for free, cheaply as well. So part of it is one of the things I mentioned before is more frequent team meetings. So, like, I would meet with my whole firm before the pandemic once a month, and now I've been Mm -hmm. meeting with them basically about once a week. Now, in part, it's to basically just allow everybody to talk to one another and see one another and check in. You know, early on, a lot of it was personally. You know, how are you doing? How are the people who are close to you doing? Because this was a shock to the system. Even those of us who have been around for a very long time, you know this is still a big shock for us so when i think about my 20-something employees they were just shell-shocked over this they sure. couldn't believe something like this had happened they've never been through any kind of you know real adversity before and then now all of a sudden we've got this so it's like you know how how are you how's your family doing how are your neighbors doing um you know how are there some you know small businesses or nonprofits that you care about that can use some help i mean you were talking about busy we were super busy the first couple of months of the year just in terms of general work. But then in March, it really spiked as the virus did because every one of our clients was trying to figure out how to shut down. But then mm-hmm. once you've kind of done that, then it's like, okay, it's a little bit like the eye of the hurricane. And you sit there and go, okay, everybody. Okay. Are the building. Okay. Anybody hurt anything like that? You just kind of check in with people. And so one of the other things, and again, I tend to be kind of a glass half full versus half empty kind of a guy And one of the things that's been actually a beautiful thing about this, and that directly speaks to the culture piece, is this whole work from home thing has allowed us to see more aspects of our colleagues than we otherwise would. You know, because people would come in to the office, hey, how was your weekend? Oh, everything was good. You know, kind of small talk, chit-chat, or I went to see this concert and this movie. But now, on video, you know, you see the working mom who's got three young kids and all school is canceled and they've got nobody and they're you know, kind of running around and she's trying to shush them while she's on a call. And, you know, it's like you're, you're seeing somebody's whole life then, right. Or somebody else Mm -hmm. who's got a young child and the kid wants to come up in the middle of the uh, conference call and sit on daddy's lap and, and be a part of it. And it's like, you can't get mad at that stuff. And in fact, you have to really appreciate that this is part of who you're, folks are, and you get a chance to connect with them on a deeper level if you look at it the right way. So that's one mm-hmm. of the ways that I think it really strengthens culture. But the other piece, like I said, is more frequent communication. And then, you know, just hanging out virtually. It's Look, I'll be the first one to tell you, I think it's really pretty lame to do like a happy hour over like Zoom, to <laughs> be honest with you. But it's yeah. better than nothing, you know? it's I'd much rather be in a bar with uh, my colleagues or with my sure. contacts, but if I can't, I'd rather be sitting there and, you know, hoisting a glass of my uh, my quarantini, as you put it, uh, with them and chatting and going, hey, how you doing? And, you know, it's it's definitely different. It's not nearly as good, but you need to do it for sure. And bring in mm-hmm. just more fun aspects to it too, especially, you know, our culture was really probably a more serious than fun culture. So it's, mm-hmm. more, it's more of a little bit of a stretch for us to bring in fun. But if you're an organization that already has – some elements of fun. You can do all kinds of things, you know, collaborate on a music uh, Spotify list or do Mm -hmm. little activity competitions or, you know, talking about the the latest Netflix show or whatever it was. So I think that's that's a big part to, I think, keep culture going. The Mm -hmm. other piece is, you know, just I would say don't, you know, we tell people don't just leave it to the leadership team or HR to come up with what needs to happen in the culture. You're part of the organization. There's peer-to-peer interaction. There's a lot of stuff that can happen. You know, just giving people the permission to do that stuff within reason.
1: What do you want Mm -hmm. to do
0: with colleagues? You want to get together and have like just a, you know, a a happy hour just for the, you know, the the employees at a certain level within a company so that they can just talk to each other and connect? Absolutely. Do that and, and support it. But a big part, too, I would say is visibility and transparency. So, again, just using my own company as an example, what I would do in the old days is I would do twice a year. I would do a state-of-the-business presentation so everybody would know how we were doing. But because of all of the layoffs that have happened and all of the dislocation that's happened, in particular in my field, in the communications field, I mean, they're seeing our big competitors laying off 5%, 10% of the employees, you know, salary cuts, uh, reduced hours, all of that stuff. So what I'm doing is, you know, literally almost every week telling my team how we're doing as a firm so they and i'm not providing any false assurance everything's going to be great i'm not saying any of that i'm saying look for right now we're doing okay you know march was a really strong month april was softer may picked up a little bit june's looking good you know it's more like that so they have a sense of of where we are and and how we're doing Mm -hmm. you know but the other piece of it is i think you know that all of the all i've been talking about so far is sort of in the the office environment but if you think about it the plants And you talk about, you know, more manufacturing and distribution and other places like that. I mean, that's a whole different ballgame. We talked about it earlier, right? These are the so-called essential services employees who had no choice but to keep working. It's fascinating to me as I look at that, particularly because this is where I do a lot of this work, is, you know, you had folks who were being expected to go to work no matter what. You know, they were scared to death. People, we knew so much less, not that we know a lot now about the virus, but we knew even less about it in March and April. But they had no choice but to go off and and go to work and hope they didn't either get sick themselves or bring it home to their family members. And, you know, obviously a lot of your uh, listeners and others uh, talked about and heard about and did these uh, special, you know, extra extra pay that folks were getting. Um, But, you know, that's – and you see the signs all over the neighborhoods, thank you, essential workers – But I also, you know, it feels like some of that is starting to wear off a little bit. And I think one of the Mm -hmm. issues that companies are going to face more and more is, okay, you made me go to work during this. Yeah, I got a nice little temporary bump in my pay. But, boy, you know, it really shows you how, A, how important I am, and, B, how under or unappreciated I was. And maybe I was a little bit less underappreciated the last couple of months. But as you start to phase out these, like, supplemental pay, you know, yeah. I've kind of awakened to the fact that I'm pretty important not only to this company, but to the economy. And I want more. And again, when the when you had twenty percent unemployment, an employer could sit there and go, Eh, ah, okay, well, if this if Joe doesn't want to do this job, I can always, you know, find Phil who can come in or Sam or yeah. whoever. But, you know, as the as the unemployment rate continues to drop as it has, you know, we're gonna be somewhat back into that same, you know, war for talent thing. And I think the folks who are going to be working in these companies who are working in these companies are, you know, very appropriately going to want and expect a heck of a lot more in terms of compensation, in terms of benefits, in terms of flexibility. Um, And, you know, you obviously have, as, as we've talked about in the past, labor unions that are only going to be too happy to try to exploit that. So I think it's this whole period that we're in now is a big wake up call. I think for HR folks to really think differently about those populations and what can be done. From a compensation standpoint, from a communication standpoint, to really
1: show these folks
0: that they are as valued as they were told they were two months ago.
1: Hmm. Yes, there's there's no doubt that that all the all those forces are in play in a ton of different ways, and we're just really kind of seeing the pot start to get stirred, if you will. Um, it's you know there's a lot more to a lot more that will come out over time, I suspect. Uh, I wanted to touch on a couple of things w- real quick. One was uh, anecdotally, I, I have heard that, you know, like the sort of like the happy hours. I mean, we did a bit of that with, with this show. And then uh, we also did uh, at work, we did a little bit of um, that kind of stuff, but it didn't really stick. And then with Q, which as you know, Q is an organization that Nick and I have been affiliated with for a while. Q is an organization that helps employers build positive employee relations in the workplace. And they had to cancel what would have been a wonderful conference in New Orleans in May, and they they did as many many organizations and uh, conferences are doing now, and they went completely uh, completely virtual. And it turned out to be a pretty, uh, my opinion, it turned out to be a pretty robust uh, series of presentations given the the challenges. But one of the things we did, Nick, that that to, uh, you know, Phil Wilson of Labor uh, Labor Relations Institute. Sure. Has always taken clients out uh, a a bunch of clients out to dinner, usually on Monday night or Tuesday night, depending on what the schedule of the conference was. So LRI had uh, they had a virtual happy hour on the what would have been the Monday night when we were in New Orleans, May 4th, and everybody was in cook a steak and you know send a picture and you know drink a glass of wine, just like what we would have done at you know Morton's or something. And that was really fun. I mean, it lasted about 45 minutes, but it was great you got to see about 35 or 40 people. You know, we talked a little HR and we talked a little bit pers- personal stuff, but I couldn't do that every week. Right. It would get old. No, so was too much. No, but it was fun. And then, and then of course, Q itself did uh, um, what would have been May fifth, the Tuesday, I guess, which was the end of the, it would have been the end of the real event. So they, they did a happy hour like we would do where we normally have like wine and cheese, although this was just getting on zoom and, talking to people but it was still it was still fun in the moment and and I know for sure that Qnow is that for their fall conference they're looking at a dual model you know trying to if they think they can run a live conference they're going to try to do that it, but they're also prepared to go you know vir- virtual for the folks that maybe aren't you know able to travel because their company won't support it or because they're concerned about their personal safety and those things so you know that that organization um, you know that that we were both involved with or, you know, in members of, um, evolved really quickly, and I'm impressed with what they were co- accomplishing. So that that was just more of not really a question, more of a comment. I think that, that and it's a kind of a microcosm from what a lot of businesses have just done, as you mentioned. Um, what he did wonder is, have you seen any examples amongst your clients of, like, what, I guess what you might term a best practice or a new idea or anything that you might call out without, you know, not necessarily naming your client.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, again, it's a little bit that element of fun that I was talking about before. This was, you know, again, it's a little, if, if your culture going in was not a very fun culture, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with either having a fun culture or not a fun culture, but if you had some elements of fun in your culture where you had, you know, either, you know, you had people who would do like, uh, you know, the corporate challenge races, or you might have mm-hmm. people who would go do volleyball teams, stuff like that, you know, finding fun things like that to do, fun activities. You would see people doing some of that. Again, it's a little – if you're naturally a more fun culture, it's a more easy transition to stuff like that that you can do, you know, you know, bring your – you know, show us your favorite pet, show your favorite household object, whatever it might be, on, on video, and then talk about it. What is it? What does it mean to you? And, again, it's all part of, I think, really connecting people both to one another and to the organization more. So I think it's when you see examples like that, and again, just doing, you know, hey, let's all watch, you know, so-and-so show on Netflix or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then talk about it the next day, as a way to just mm-hmm. connect the kind of thing that would happen naturally if you were all in an office environment, but to actually do it with a little bit of structure and and and, and purpose, so it doesn't you don't just sit there and see if it's going to happen organically because it is harder for it to happen organically when you are distant like this. But the point you were making before about Q and the hybrid model, I mean, look, you've got a lot of universities that are planning on reopening back up in the fall as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there is – you can now, again, you can't force people because, there's, like I said, there's all kinds of reactions all over the place to what COVID means and how frightening it is with all of the conflicting information. But you can say, look, for those of you who feel comfortable, we're going to be meeting at XYZ location. Bring your mask. We're going to be socially distant, but we are going to be able to see and be in one another's presence. Planning mm. for that now and doing that now is so important. You've got to do it. It's what I was talking about earlier. People crave that interaction. Would people rather not be doing it for more than six feet apart? Of course. Would people rather not be doing it with a mask on? Of course. But that's, you know, those are the cards we're dealt. And we don't just sit there and basically say, okay, we're just going to stay home behind our computer screens forever now. You want to create those opportunities where people can come together and where you continue to do and build on the things that you learned about people during the time everybody was locked down. Talk about the person, you know, whose who's kid jumped in his lap for the video conference or the three kids running around during the, uh, the the team meeting or whatever it is and say, hey, how are they doing? What's going on? Do you really, it allows you to connect them at a deeper level. If you have that fun element and you have that appropriate and safe, connection that goes
1: on between people as well yeah it's interesting the other thing I've heard a few a few you know a few times is some people hate working at home they're they're like I did oh, it for yeah. three days and then I went started going back to the office because I was safe there no one was there and I didn't want to do yeah. it in my home you know so right. it's not oh, yeah. it's definitely not for everyone I mean like unlike you where you said you were mostly in the office I mean over, you know, I'd say since 1999 or 2000, I'd say over half the years that have passed between now and then, I've worked from home or from the road or remotely, and I loved every minute of it, even going back to being in hotel rooms where I was calling into with a, v, uh, a PIN number into a, a, a dial-up modem <laughs> connection to do my email. Wow. You know, at, at the courtyard. It, it's been a while. So, I mean, some of us have done it for a long time, you know. And as it turns out, I don't, when I live alone, like I do now, I don't necessarily love having my office in my house because I feel like I'm living at work or, you know, I never leave work. Right. So they're right. You know, so it's it's right. a double-edged sword, but anyway, we have a couple other things we want to get to. So that, that that's, that's probably yeah. enough on the, on working remotely. Um, the next one that we had talked about some Nick is, and you know, who knows when we're going to be out of this thing, but, you know the the question I get, or you know, co- this thing being COVID, which everyone just talks about, talks about, talks about, and has opinions on, it. everyone's crazy. The country's crazy one way or the other or masks. But anyway, don't want to really go there. I really want to talk about um, communication, kind of as this thing ramped up, and then you know maybe where ha- what companies need to do afterwards. And so here's the here's kind of the here's what, here's my thought that I noticed in quite a few co- companies. Because, and you mentioned it earlier, because of the fluidity of the you know kind of the, the, the opening days of the pandemic and you know not knowing if it was going to be like really bad for a week, or really bad for a decade. you know I think companies were, have been very tentative in many cases about how they how they've responded. And so there, there seems to be like this herky jerky kind of response in some cases where you make a recommendation or you make a decision and this is our policy and then a week later, the CDC changes their own guidance, and so that company has to come back and go, "Oops, this is what we're going to do now." It, it, it's, I think, it's created a, a lot of consternation, probably in the, the hourly workforces for a lot of companies, and maybe for the managers as well, because nothing is kind of fixed in place. So, first of all, I'd like, if you have any thoughts there, I'd like you to comment on that, and then we'll talk about what do you, what do you do, where we are now, and going forward.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, again, look, when you have the kind of debate and disagreement among experts, right, about, you know, are we still in a pandemic? You know, uh, how much do masks help? Can you be safe if you go inside? There's so much conflicting information. And, look, Mm -hmm. I want to be kind about my fellow Americans, but we weren't exactly the most scientifically literate people going into this, okay? (laughs) So now, now we have scientists arguing with one another and disagreeing with one another on cable news and whatnot, I mean, it's making it difficult for individual employees and people to know what to do in terms of their personal lives. But certainly if you're an employer or a head of HR in terms of knowing what to do, you just kind of look at what other people are doing and you kind of do the best you can. I think one of the biggest issues though, right, is, you know, we've got all of these guidelines now in office environments about, you know, plexiglass and you know Mm how you're supposed to stand in an elevator and, you know, these dots that are put down in places six feet apart from people, you know, there's some kind of prevailing conventional wisdom there. And people are kind of doing that. But, you know, even just you're seeing some of the extreme reactions people are having to the idea Mm -hmm. of wearing masks and stuff too. I mean, the
1: whole idea of it being personal freedom and this is
0: look, it's no different within a a corporate setting. People don't want to be, they don't want to get sick and they don't want to be at risk of losing their jobs. And, for anything, you know, companies are trying to be, I think, very conservative about these things and try mm-hmm. to provide the maximum amount of protection both to protect their employees but also to minimize their own litigation risk as well. So if they are at least mm-hmm. like, okay, what does the CDC say to do? What does my State Department of Public Health say to do? Or my city, if I'm in the city, what does it say to do? And hopefully it's not in conflict with one another, but if it's generally talking about wiping everything down and not having communal food and things like that, you know, that's what people, you know, having masks all the time and hand sanitizer all over the place. But, you know, people, we've, you know, we've seen that come into place really all over the country. And then you still have cases that are going bananas. (laughs) So you sit there and go, okay, well, what are we supposed to do? We can't just keep being shut down. We have to get back into, into operation. And for some people it is, you know, it's become more of a requirement that like, okay, look, you know, we we didn't have a situation where everybody could work effectively from home. You were talking earlier about how you worked remotely for years. I mean, I was thinking about we've done work on and off over the years for IBM and way before any of this stuff happened. I mean, it was routine for most of their people to be working from home and for their bosses to be, you know, a thousand miles away from one another. Not every employee does well with that kind of environment. Not that we all need to be, you know, babysat every day.
1: Um, but right. we
0: also, some of us need more in the way of direct supervision than others. And it's very hard to do that if somebody is just sort of sitting at home and doing whatever they're doing. And, you know, you, you, you have ways to kind of measure productivity of people and certainly in some industries more than others, but, you know, the same way they would talk every year, right about the, the, um, uh, what is it? The, the black Friday or the uh, cyber Monday or the day after right. Super Bowl being days that the economy has lost Billions in productivity. How much do we think we've lost in productivity in the last four months with everybody shifting to work from home? It's got to be a lot. So yeah, I think you heard think it from and a lot yet, of these organizations yet, to bring
1: people. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I'm I, sorry. I thought you were done. I was going to say, uh, yeah. And yet, a lot, a lot of what I've heard is that actually things have kind of gone on better. You know, that the productivity drops weren't that much. I mean. Right. Um, and yep. I don't, I, no, I, you know, maybe that's a short-term horizon of expectations, you know, because the companies are still making money. They're still, do, you know, so it, it's hard to, I think it's hard to measure that right now. Maybe a year from now right. when we start seeing all the reports, we'll have a better idea. But I, I agree with you. It, I, I think it would have, I think it has to have caught, you know, the distraction um, uh, and the crisis and the, and the feelings of insecurity may be more responsible than that, uh, for that, rather than people goofing off at home. Because I think when everybody oh, you know, 45 million people are, are, are laid off, but it's not that high anymore, but whatever it was, 41 million when we reached the peak, um, you know, I think people are pretty cognizant. Of, I better I better keep my nose to the grindstone at home, absolutely. you know, but absolutely. that won't last forever either, no. right? <laughs> no, it
0: won't, right? So when the, yeah. when the unemployment rate starts dropping even more, it's down around, what, like 10 or 11% now. Um, mm-hmm. If it starts dropping more into kind of normalized levels and everybody's still working from home, they're not being watched day in and day out. Their boss is nowhere nearby. What's that going to mean in terms of productivity? I mean, I think that's an interesting thing for HR folks to keep an eye on because I think that is one of the, we don't know what the consequences are of it yet, but we're going to, as you said.
1: Mm. Yeah, one of the one of the, th- one of the shows I want to try to do, I haven't really found anyone to talk to, is like the the notion of monitoring your employees in, in all the different Oh ways yeah and all the different ways yeah, that maybe a little big
0: brotherish, right but it's, it's yeah
1: great. yeah um so that's so that's a little bit about what happened over the you know the four months i guess and by the way nick just so you know it's uh 8 so we've got like just uh, 22 minutes left to go in the show i told you the show would take an hour <laughs> yeah uh, yeah the, uh what about coming out right because we don't know when the covid era if you want to call it that is going to end if ever i mean the hope is, you know, we develop herd immunity or they develop a vaccine. Uh, you know, I know Donald Trump would like to have the vaccine out by October for his, to improve his reelection chances, you know, but that's probably not going to happen. So what do employers do, and you know, beyond, you know, just reacting? What, what do they begin to do at this point from a communications perspective, I guess is what I'm asking about.
0: Well, I mean, I think they need to be looking at, you know, are we maybe in this, even if we're not in this exact situation that we're in right now permanently, what if there are additional waves of this? And even if they come up with a vaccine, not to be all Debbie Downer, but if they even if they come up with a vaccine for this particular virus, and they're already talking about other viruses that are swirling around in China, what yeah. if we're right back into a situation like this in another year or two? So I think what they need to do, and this is obviously communications can help drive and support this, but, or it, but H.R. I think is really forefront of is like, what do we need? How, how nimble can we make ourselves? How flexible can we make ourselves?
1: So if we are
0: all back in the office after there's a vaccine and we're high fiving one another and we get to throw the masks away and all of that, how quickly and easily can we then pivot back if we need to pivot back without it costing things? How do we get people to do that if they're reluctant to do it again because of how disruptive it was to them personally the first time? I mean, this is even one of the things that you see governors and mayors are struggling with. They're like, well, if the, if the cases start spiking, are we going to be able to lock down again? I think most of them are realizing right. they can't because a lot a lot of people won't cooperate with it. So yep. it's like, how do you, have, you know, what you were talking about before in terms of Zuckerberg and Facebook is how do you go to an environment? Well, sure, if you've got an office, if you paid for it, like they did at, and big, beautiful headquarters there in Silicon Valley, it's like you don't.
1: Necessarily get rid of
0: it, but you also just sit there and go, okay, well, you know, we have it, it's running, it's great, and sometimes we're there and sometimes we're not, but we've got everything on the cloud, everybody's got a laptop that can. You know, the challenge again goes back to those essential services folks again. And I think what I would be doing if I were an HR person with a lot of manufacturing plants that I was responsible for, uh, or any place or distribution facility where a lot of people work in close proximity, meat packing plants, whatever is. How do we think about redesigning those? How do we think about the economy of how those things run if they can be, if there's a way to have them run where you don't literally have people standing right next to one another? Mm -hmm. All the problems you saw with the meatpacking plants, right? It's because you have people working in very close proximity to one another and then many of them going home and living in multi-generational, small, cooped-up environments. That's why you have those kind of outbreaks so what do you do about that you're not going to tell people not to live at home with cousin and uncle and grandma and all of that obviously but so you mm-hmm. have to think about how do you change the work setting which you obviously can and you know just encouraging good hygienic habits and all of that I mean that's again one of the side benefits of all of this terrible thing going on is that we're all now washing our hands all the time that's not a bad thing that's actually a good thing right we could be a cleaner, yeah. Society, and certainly we've been taught how important that is. But I think that part I, of it is, is is planning ahead, and again, going outside of just thinking about quarter to quarter and what you need to do in terms of if your public company is satisfying Wall Street. But how do you how do you run your company for the next few years for the possibility, if not probability, that you may have to shut down or send everybody remote more than once in that few years? What do you do? How do you right? how do you Without breaking the bank, how do you set yourself up from an operational standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, from a communication standpoint, so that you are ready for that if it happens? And might you be spending money on something that you might not need? Absolutely. But if that were to stop us, none of us would have life insurance, none of us would have health insurance,
1: right? We spend money on things that we hope we don't need. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, I've talked to people about, you know, back when I was with Q and... Um, you know, like this is going way off off the campus here, but, you know, uh, all the different kinds of uh, concerted activity that we've seen, you know, you mentioned Silicon Valley and you had Google people walking off the job and, you know, these oh, kind yeah. of things. And You know, and, and as you know, it's very common if a company has a union relationship and you, you have to negotiate collective bargaining agreements, you know, you, you always have a strike plan in your drawer and you update it, you know, to, to make Absolutely. sure that if, if the worst happens, you know, that, that you're prepared. And so that's a common thing, but I I've yet to see a company. I mean, they might be doing it now, but a, at least six months ago, I had yet to see a company that had a a, a response plan in their door for what do we do if our own employees do a wild, you know, do a, do a strike, you know, in a non union company. Right. And it's happened a bunch of times. So you oh, know, yeah. there, there, there's that, you know, which is a whole nother show, kind of the activist uh, stuff, but then, you know, nobody, You know, well, I don't say nobody, but very few companies probably had a pandemic response plan written either, I would guess. And so a lot of this, you know, for sure. And a
0: lot of them did actually quite well with it, too, I have to say. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they kind of, you know, many of them maybe didn't even have any kind of a crisis plan, but they just kind of figured out what to do. What I would tell them and am telling them is if you didn't have a crisis plan, but you actually implemented a crisis plan to deal with COVID, memorialize what you did so that if or when you have to do it again for this or a related issue, you then have at least the format of a crisis plan. But it reminds me, just to your point, you know, we do a lot of crisis work and a lot of the work that we do is, you know, we are in the moment dealing with a crisis, help us. Or we have a specific crisis plan or we need to have a crisis plan based on these likely scenarios. But fewer companies still sit there and go, okay, what could possibly happen? Where are we vulnerable? What keeps us up at night? Not the expected, but the unexpected, the so-called black swan events like the pandemic. You know, what would that mean? What would we do in a situation like that? We do have some companies, some clients of ours that do say, yeah, help us think that through, and we do that. And Mm. we give them then some bite-sized chunks that they can attack those different areas with and prioritize as appropriate. But thinking ahead in that sort of a way is not something a lot of companies are really uh, have their mindset around doing.
1: Got got too much invested in selling groceries or building cars or yeah, whatever it might exactly.
0: be. Exactly. Right. Right. You know? right. And just saying um, hey, what are my what's my what are my targets for this week or this month? I can't think about next year. Exactly. <laughs> <Right.
1: laughs> um actually in Florida, it's kind of interesting. I've heard a few companies mention that having a they, they kinda of modeled their COVID response like they do a hurricane response plan. Mm, hmm it, mm-hmm. It's a slow you know, I mean it, it certainly wasn't like you know, you know, apples to apples, but versus, a you know, uh, you know, a tornado or a, you know, a fire, a, a hurricane is a slow moving event that evolves over a week or Yeah, you got a so, right?
0: day's notice for sure before it's going
1: to hit. Absolutely. So they kind of stole some, some of question. the stuff about how they handled employees and they have already had the notification. So, you know, I I suppose other companies may have similar examples based on regionality. I just thought that one was interesting when I heard some folks talking about it one night, um, we're running out of time we've got about, we've got about 14 minutes left and I definitely want to get to the next, uh, the next part. So we had one kind of last question here, Nick, and, and we may have talked up through it already. What are, um, what are some of the less discussed implications of COVID and what can organizations do about them going forward? If there's, if there's something that comes to mind for you? Yeah,
0: I think, you know, there is lingering fear and uncertainty, among employee populations even both sophisticated and less sophisticated employees and you cannot just tell people to kind of suck it up get to work you can't do that i mean there is some degree that that happened with essential services folks but as we talked about earlier in the hour there's some consequences of that realize that everybody is processing this differently it's like any kind of a personal tragedy you know as you know everybody processes things differently if it's a death in the family, if it's a divorce, if it's some other kind of thing, people process things differently. Pandemic is no different. So you cannot have a one size fits all approach. You're going to need to have a very flexible, customizable approach to your employees in these situations. Somebody is too scared to come to work because they'd have to take public transportation. Don't force them. Okay. I mean, that's just one example. Um, Somebody is, you know, their schools are not reopening and they don't have childcare and you've got to find some way to accommodate them and they're going to need to go on a different schedule, accommodate them. Flexibility is absolutely the key because you will get tremendous loyalty out of your employees if you show to them that you're going to be, you're going to meet them where they are. I think that's a big part of what needs to happen for a lot of organizations.
1: Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, Thanks for that. Um, last, uh, last sort of the last group of, the th- or the last of the three groups of topics that I wanted to cover was um, really the the, the idea of, of all the movements that we're seeing right now. i um, sorry, I'm just, my computer's doing a weird thing, give me one second, okay. Um, I was I was trying, I couldn't see the clock, I don't know why it, it powered time. Yeah, I think we got so about 11 there.
0: minutes, 12 minutes left. Yeah,
1: yeah, got it. Um, so, so you know, so I guess when I say movements, you know, it, this is a completely unsettled time, you know, for the economy and for the for the COVID illness. And then on top of that, we have uh, racial tensions uh, really becoming a you yeah. know top heavy, top of mind topic all across the U.S. and really globally for some unfortunate reasons. I mean, the the, the the you know the the killings or murder or whatever you want to call it. He's not convicted of of uh, George Foley and Breonna Taylor. And Richard Brook, uh, Brook I mean, this, and more. You know, there's a high numbers here, and it's unfortunate, but it's it's made, uh, it's it's really spawned a movement um, that I. The only the only time I've seen anything like this time in my lifetime is when I was back in grade school, and we lived in Detroit when there were there were there was in you know there was uh, what they termed riots back then riots in L.A. and Detroit, several other oh, cities, yeah. and that was that was during the time of the Vietnam War you know like yep. 68 67
0: 68 i remember
1: yeah yeah so it's i mean so this time is as unsettled as it was back then i believe in different ways and we're seeing some different yep. responses but anyway, so whether you're talking about me too lgbtqi or the or the you know the the, the current racial tensions uh how do, how can employers deal with this because they already have a pretty full plate trying to keep their doors open keep their customers happy and their employees you know retained well how do they deal with this? And, you know, I would say
0: okay. three, three things. I would say three things. I know we're kind of limited on time here. One is, you know, specifically as it relates to the black community. I mean, again, this is a wake up call for companies that just, you know, writing a check to the United Negro College Fund or the NAACP or, you know, once in a while recruiting from historically black colleges and universities or whatnot, um, That may have been, quote, unquote, enough before. It's definitely not enough now. You need Mm. to step up your game. Every organization needs to think differently about how they're going to do this. Mentorship programs, recruiting, leadership development, very specifically working on helping members of the black community Mm. specifically. That's number one point. You've got to go beyond that. And many of them are, which is great. There's certainly a lot of them are sending the right kind of signals about this, That's number one. Number two is do not forget about your other diverse audiences. They've all taken a back seat. You rattled a whole bunch of them off. You could have, obviously, women. You could have Hispanics. You could have LGBTQI. You could have all different kinds of uh, diverse audiences that are going, hey, what about me? So you can't forget about them either. But the main point I wanted to really get across for your listeners here is I think there is a big Potential backlash that they face if they're not careful.
1: We're already
0: seeing some companies rushing to judgment, right, in terms of if you're the relative of somebody who's done something wrong, they're firing you. Something just recently, just this past week, the head communications person for Boeing was forced to resign because of an article he wrote about women in combat in 1987, had one complaint from one employee, and Boeing decided to jettison him as an employee because of that. You're going to see, and again, I think your listeners here need to be aware, I think there is going to be a wave of wrongful discharge litigation that is going to hit a lot of companies for these kind of examples because so many companies are rushing to judgment now. And if there's any kind of a claim that's being made against one employee or another, and certainly employees can weaponize this against other employees, they Mm -hmm. are opening themselves up to a huge liability. It does not excuse any kind of bad behavior if there is documented bad behavior. But there have been so many examples. There was a fascinating article in The Atlantic, of all places, about a week or so ago, stopped firing the innocent because America needs a reckoning over racism, punishing people who did not do anything wrong. Harms that important cause. Mm. So, whether it's mm. you talked about um, uh, the, the gentleman in Atlanta who got shot by uh, Garrett Rolf, the police officer, his stepmother got fired. Uh, another, you know, a basically a line employee for San Diego Gas and Electric was goaded into giving the okay sign. And then, basically, yep. the, uh, whoever it was that goaded him into doing that uh, made a complaint that he was part of the white power movement. The guy is a diverse employee himself, but he got fired, and the company just, you know, did that. From there, all kinds of stuff. You certainly, you'd see this kind of thing in academia in the past, where if you weren't sort of adhering to the right kind of thoughts, you'd be fired, but it has spread into corporate America, and it is a very dangerous thing. And I think HR people need to be very, very careful that they have systems in place to not rush to judgment, and sometimes they're more tempted to do that because they want to kind of keep the the Twitter mob or the actual mob at bay, but there's some real consequences of doing that.
1: Yeah, there are, there are, yeah, you need to, as an HR professional, my opinion, you know, you know, there's a lot, we saw a similar kind of a mass, you know, for over months, Nick, we saw a very similar response with the Me Too movement. And, you know, and it was kind of a a swing way to the right or left, correcting the, the previous ills, which were that they allowed people like Matt Lauer or whatever to get away with, you know, a lot of bad crap for a long time. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. It, you know. So you got to, now you got to respond by anytime somebody sneezes, you know, it, not, I'm, not to minimize it. I mean, it was appalling all the stuff that happened. But you know, they the HR and some of those companies enabled that stuff. And then when they finally got caught, they went all the way over and invoked the death penalty. And I guess the point is you need to be careful and have your best, you know, have your practices lined up and do your investigations and make a decision based on the evidence, uh, you know, of the work of the incident rather than you know the public. Uh, the lens of public opinion, because you'll never be right with any everyone anyway. It um, doesn't right. mean you can ignore it. So um, what, um, you, you, you had mentioned, are there are, you, it was kind of interesting, you're talking about kind of a backlash against HR because of the way they're responding. Do you see other similar issues? Are there other hidden risks for employers out there that, you've, that you have some thoughts on related well, to I mean, this? Well, I think
0: it's one of the ones we talked but, about earlier. I mean, we talked about, I think the unionization risk is very high. If you're a non, you know, again, this goes back to some of the Q stuff, right? But if you're if you're a non-union company and you've been kind of happily sailing along as a non-union organization mm-hmm. for years, you know it, it has been now completely upended. I think because of COVID, it was already trending. If you know, you know, this like we've talked about this before. It's like support for unions among the general public are very uh, has been at it's, a, at its highest level in 20 years, and that's before the mm-hmm. pandemic. So I think that is a big risk for sure. Um, you know, I think, like I said, I think some employers were sitting there going, okay, well, you know, unemployment is really high. So people are really going to want the job. We don't need to necessarily, we can, we can quote unquote, take advantage of things a little bit because it's, you know, in the employer employee continuum, it was more t- tilted toward the employer, but as unemployment seeps coming down, it's going to be back to where it was before, where you had this war for talent and a dearth of people who are trained. And I think, you know, we've we need to be prepared. Companies need to be prepared for that and to deal with that appropriately, for sure. So I think that's that's a risk. The backlash that I talked about is definitely a risk, um, and just the the inability to be sufficiently flexible to deal with employees where they are after all they've been through in 2020. I'd say those are the mm-hmm. big risks. And it's you know it's I know that people are busy. I know people are doing more with less. I know there've been layoffs everywhere. People are probably doing two or three jobs whatever it might be sometimes, but you have to, I have it easy for me to say, and I try to do it myself, take a breath, think about what might come next and plan for those possibilities, right? Think about it. Don't just deal with it as it's happening the way we all had to when COVID was hitting, but to deal with it and to think about it for the future. What could happen and how are we, how do we need to get ready?
1: That That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, we got about just a little bit, three minutes left. I want to get to your contact info, but before we do that, I'm going to put you on the spot just for a moment. Um, if you were, if you were the great Karnak or some other version of a, of a fortune does Johnny Parsons Har- tonight. So I, I remember him well. Yep, the with turban, not not as ancient as Nick and I are these days. Uh, yeah, if, <laughs> is there, if, we're dating is there
0: ourselves, Mike.
1: Yeah, I know it's all right. I you know I live young anyway. I hope. Uh, do you see any? <laughs> what might be a next big issue that employers might want to think about? Or did you see anything else looming on the horizon? I know that's a... Oh, good question. Lord. Haven't we
0: dealt with enough here? Yeah. You know, I, look, I, I think one of the things, you know, what was already starting to trend significantly is uh, automation, obviously, and artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. And I think those things have been turbocharged as we come out of COVID. I think those are going to happen even more quickly. And so we're going to have an issue, and this is, you know what are we what what are we going to do with the good young people that are graduating from high school or from technical school and are going to need jobs? What are they going to do? More and more is getting automated. Certainly, look. You know, if you've got another pandemic and you've got a fully automated factory, right? Uh, yep. Self-serve supermarket, right? Whatever it might be. You know, mm-hmm. you need fewer and fewer people. What are we going to do as a society with people who want jobs?
1: What, are they gonna, what is their role
0: going to be? I think that's going to be a big challenge. We need to figure that out. You know, everybody yeah. talks about the doing more with less. But what are we going to do when we need less? What are we going to do with our neighbors and our children when we need less?
1: Yep. Well, listen, Nick, oh, it's yeah. been great. I think we could talk for another hour if we wanted to, but we got a minute left. So before I wrap up the show and, and close it, please tell folks where they might find you if they listen to you and would like to reach out and contact you. Sure, no
0: thanks, Mike. It's, it's been a pleasure to do this. And so I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at Nick Calm, N-I-C-K-K-A-L-M, like calm down except for the K. Um, I'm on LinkedIn uh, under that name, and my firm is Reputation Partners. So ReputationPartners.com, and I would be happy to talk to any of your listeners and talk more about these topics or anything else that's on anyone's mind.
1: Yeah, awesome, Nick. So uh, hopefully we'll get to see you at a Q event yet this year and if not then next year but um, it's great to have you on and to connect with you and I'm glad things are are okay on your end so I'm going to go ahead and end the show thanks everyone for listening um, our, our guest on Thursday I have an afternoon show our guest is going to be Rob Chestnut who is the former ethics chief ethics officer of Airbnb amongst other positions so I think that will be an inter- interesting show if you want to join us at 1 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday Nick have a great rest of the week and I will talk to you soon okay
0: all right. Thanks a
1: lot, Mike, and happy twenty first birthday. Thanks. <laughs> Tomorrow. That's right. Finally able
0: to legally see it. Right. Bye. There you go. Thank you, bye